Attention musicians of all levels. It's not always easy picking out a song by ear. Sometimes you need a little help. Well, I have the app for you. Whether you're a professional musician or a beginner, Ultimate Guitar is an amazing app. For just $2.99, you get the chords and tabs on guitar, bass, or ukulele for over a million songs. They're all available at your fingertips. You also get tools like a tuner, metronome, chord library, lessons, videos, and more. You can find out any song you want. It also has like transpose button. It has auto scroll that you can change the speed to so you can play along with the song. A lot of the songs have the lyrics there so you can sing along with them. Ultimate Guitar is an amazing app. Just go to ultimateguitar.com or download the app to your phone today and start playing. Start playing any song you want. Ultimate Guitar, that's the place for you. Let's get down. Hey gang, I want to make a quick announcement. Since we started this podcast in 2011, only the last 20 episodes have been available on the streaming services. You had to go back to the Podbean app or to the website, howdidigethere.podbean.com to access past the 20, last 20 episodes. Well, gang, big surprise. As of now, the last 100 episodes are available on all streaming sites. That includes the From the Vault episodes. All of the episodes, the last 100 episodes from this episode back are available now on all streaming services, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast. Go there. Whichever one you're subscribed to, whichever one you use the most, go subscribe to How Did I Get Here. Follow us, rate us, leave us a comment if you can, and, uh, and check out the episodes, man. Get out there and enjoy the last 100 episodes of How Did I Get Here on your favorite streaming services. Let's get down. Johnny, I'm your host. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys all had a good weekend, whatever it is you did this gorgeous weekend. Oh my God. This weekend was like a magical weekend weather-wise here in Austin. We have not had weather, uh, you know, below 90 in a long time, let alone weather that wasn't even 80. It was beautiful all weekend. Cool, high pressure, low humidity, Great weekend for ACL Festival. Maybe you got out and did that. I did not go to that. I didn't have any gigs uh, this weekend, so I did spend a lot of time outside. I did on Saturday. My friend Ian Moore has a songwriting workshop, and he invited me out on Saturday to teach and do a presentation on uh, chord tricks that I like to do in songwriting and uh, and do some one-on-ones. Like half the class of one-on-ones came with me, half of them went, went with Ian, and we kind of worked on their songs. It was a great time, man. I love doing shit like that. And I love Ian, and he's really cultivated a great scene out there in Wimberley. It's like, it's, it's songwriting, and also there's a whole like sort of uh, self-care and uh, like they do yoga, 
they have meditation, they do breathing exercises, they also work on songs, they do songwriting, they dissect songs, they work one-on-one with Ian. And it's a whole weekend of just like activities for the brain, the mind, and taking care of yourself. And, and doing the one-on-ones, I met people from all over the country, people that weren't like pro musicians, people that were like learning to write songs to express themselves, get some things out. Some people were doing some open mics, some people have like a local band and they play, some people have a recording studio in their house. All kinds of cool people, man. It's a really interesting thing. He's been doing it for like eight years and he's got a whole team out there this girl Cass who's fantastic who I've known for a few years my friend Jody that I've known for a few years runs the whole thing and uh, Ian's wife Jolene is out there they're all they're all pulling their weight and, and making this great experience for these people that come in from all over the country so it was really fun to go out there and be a part of it I did not go to ACL as I said I came home though from uh, doing that Ian thing and I sat down and watched on Hulu because they're showing ACL Festival on Hulu I watched part of the Ben Queller set and it's been so long. I haven't seen Ben Queller in a long time. I love that guy. He's a great, great songwriter. He played two songs from his record, Shasha, which is like 20 years old. I think that might be actually his first solo record. But the record, uh, he played a couple couple songs from that Shasha record. It made me stop the Hulu thing and go back and listen. That record it had been so long. It was exciting to listen to and it was really fun. So if you're out there at ACL this weekend, get out there and check him out. He sounded great, looked great. Seemed like he was feeling good. I know he's been through a lot of heavy, heavy shit this year. Glad to see him out there doing stuff. Gang, if you're not going to ACL Festival this weekend and you live in San Antonio, Skyrocket the Band is playing on Friday, or Saturday, sorry, sorry, on Saturday, October 14th. That's my birthday. Yeah, we're playing on my birthday this Saturday, October 14th at Sam's Burger Joint. Come on out. Show starts at 8.30. Go to skyrockettheband.com to get tickets and get involved with that. It's always a fun time at Sam's. Great crowd out there. If you are going to ACL this weekend, if you are going to weekend two of ACL, I have a great suggestion for you. Today's guest, Leon the Third, are playing Austin City Limits Music Festival this Sunday, October 15th at noon at the T-Mobile stage. I have a really great conversation with Andy Stepanian from the band Leon the Third. If They have a brand new record coming out this Friday. It's called Something is Trying to Change My Mind, and the record is fucking great. Super psychedelic, man. They've entered, they've entered this realm of like, it's interesting because they started off as like a, an Americana band. When Andy was on the show, uh, I don't know, five years ago when Leon Third put out their self-titled debut record, we, uh, they were more of an Americana band. They were even playing like Americana Fest a few years ago. And then they, they put out a couple of records since that have gotten more and more psychedelic, more and more like kind of out there and more and more experimental. This record, uh, basically, Leon Third is Andy Stepanian and Brent Mason, right? And I'll be just talking to Andy Stepanian today. But they've, 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 they've recruited a drummer. His name is Asias Gill. He comes from the band Black Flag. He played with Macy Gray, David Lee Roth, Diamond Dave, if you know what I mean. The record was produced by Mark Nevers, who did uh, Silver Jews and Bonnie Prince Billy. And uh, they have percussionist extraordinaire, legendary Texas musician, and uh, fantastic musician, Mike Dillon, originally from the band Ten Hands. That's where I know him from, from the late 80s when he used to play with Ten Hands. Anyway, this record, they recorded it out at, uh, at the Sonic Ranch in Tornillo, Texas. This crazy, like, I don't know, thousands of acres pecan ranch and also functioning studio, fully functioning pecan ranch and fully functioning studio on the Rio Grande there. Uh, about like an hour outside of, of San Antonio. Fantastic.
fantastic studio. Tons of people work out there. You know, if you listen to the show, you hear me talk to all kinds of fastball just did their record out there. And, uh, and Andy and Brent went out there with uh, Gil and did this record with all these great people and had a great time. You can find them at Leon, the third.com. This record will be out on vinyl. I'm sure something is trying to change my mind. Fucking great record. Get out there and check it out. It comes out this Friday, October 13th. That's right, man. And they'll be playing ACL Fest on Sunday, October 15th from uh, at noon. At noon. That is the time on the T-Mobile stage. Look up your thing. I think it's at the T-Mobile stage. That's what he said. Go to leonthethird.com to get involved with all that. Andy and I have a great conversation about what he's been doing for the last five years. Uh, musically, he's been living in Houston. And so he was there. We did it over Zoom. He's also one of the owners, or at least I think he's the owner, maybe, of Howler Brothers, the clothing company, which is a great place. Uh, he gave me a, a, a hoodie a few years ago that I still wear all the time and I love a lot. They got great stuff. Check out Howler Brothers and check out this record. Something is trying to change my mind dropping this Friday, October 13th from the great band Leon the Third. Enjoy my conversation with me and Andy Stepanian from Leon the Third. Let's get down. Toby, I was saying when I put this record on, even when I put on the last record, uh, when I was going to listen to that, that one almost starts off like the, the beginning of a Grateful Dead show or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Fucking awesome. There, there's like this ex- yeah. exploration of, of, uh, of, of real like psychedelia going on, like especially in those two opening tracks on this record, the mannequins and, and dogwood blooms. Yeah, it was really fun, and they didn't necessarily fit together uh, at the beginning, but they they really, after we got them down, felt like they belonged, they linked together. So we put them out together, and on the album, they, they kind of flow seamlessly into each other. Um, and, it, and it was fun. It was uh, We sort of started the process on this one. It was very different than how we did the last one. We... we we had a lot of trial and error and failure in the um, processes, but I think that was part of why we the result was so good. I guess. How did you? Uh, how do you mean like a trial and error? You started recording it and it just wasn't happening, or what happened? Yeah, so we. Uh, I make these demos that, on my own of all the songs, and um, probably do way too much on them, I guess. Um, I, especially kind of during the COVID era, I had all this time. So I've spent like way too much time on the demos and, uh, layer on synths and percussion and lots of guitars and lots of stuff. And, right, right. um, and some beats and, you know, drum loops and things like that. And they're very, rudimentary in that I don't like spend a lot of time on the tapes, but I just like throw this stuff layer after layer on. And when we, when Mark Nevers who produced the album first heard the demos, he was like, I love these demos. I want to try to preserve the weirdness that's in these demos. 
Um, and so we actually tried to make the album by just starting with the demos and recording over them. Um, but we, <laughs> we found that that didn't work completely. There was a lot of, um, they were out of time and they didn't in any arrangement changes we wanted to make. We just couldn't execute them for, because they were out of time. Right. And, right. Um, and so there are, there are artifacts from the demos, like the very beginning of mannequins, for example, with that like drum beat, um, that is, that, that is taken from the demo and pasted onto a, a take that we ultimately did out at Sonic Ranch in oh, awesome. uh, West Texas. So you recorded out at Sonic Ranch. That's, I love that place. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, we, you know, we had a blast being there and places, you know, it's got all the gear and all the stuff. And, it's, and I love to record if I'm doing a band thing, especially with me on the third where not everyone's necessarily in the band, quote unquote. And they're, they're sort of, um, you know, guys that are coming in for the sessions. It's really great to have everyone, uh, staying in the same place. Um, yeah. as opposed to, you know, just some guy popping in to play right. a little bit on an album. It, 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 they become, everyone gets way more emotionally invested yeah. than if, if it's just like, you know, I'm going to do my, two hours of pedal steel or whatever. Um, so yeah, everyone was emotionally invested and, and it's fun too. So does Esaias Gill lives in, in, uh, Los Angeles, Houston, in Houston. Houston. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Is, yeah. He, is he from Houston? He's from Mexico. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he lives in Houston, um, primarily and sort of plays all over town here, but then, um, you know, occasionally has, um, you know, much bigger things to do. He was in black flag for a while. Right. Um, I saw that. And, um, David, you know, Lee, Roth. With David Lee Roth and Macy Gray and, uh, um, Oza Motley and wow. uh, a handful of others. Yeah. Yeah. Real, real, super talented. Now, did you guys, Great guy. Did you guys have Mike Dillon out there too playing with you? Yes, yeah. <laughs> he he actually was like the spiritual leader of the of the session. He he saved us from ourselves several times. Um and it's just incredible has an incredible story and has an incredible energy about him. And, oh my god. Yes. Yeah, and his playing and his it's wild. I mean, he's got so many, he had an entire room all to himself. That was, you know, like, you know, like a 20 by 20, like mini studio room. That was everybody else was in one room and Mike D had so much stuff that we had to put him in. I mean, like every percussion thing you could think of. Yeah. Um, it, it, and, and that added like he, he and Isaiah together, I felt like added, a real interesting sort of world feel to it. Yeah. Um, there's, some, there's like little elements of cumbia, there's Indian drums, stuff like that, that just wasn't present before in, in, in what we've done. Yeah. He, uh, it's funny because <laughs> I, I was in a band that used to open for 10 hands, like in the late eighties and early nineties. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's, uh, for those of you that are listening, Ten Hands was this crazy Dallas band that was just uh, made up of like five of the most unbelievable musicians ever. And uh, and and <laughs> Mike was the percussionist for that band. And then he went on to have this band called Billy Goat. Yeah. Which <laughs> was crazy. But the funny thing is like, I knew Mike back in that, era and haven't seen him since the 90s so like he's transitioned into this elder statesman musician that he's always been super talented and brought so much but he's like he's like the one person that i know that i've never been in any kind of relationship with sexually that i've seen naked the most (laughs) (laughs) i think i think well especially back in that era yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah you know mike has um you know he's calmed down. He's calmed down, right? Uh, but since then, um, and and probably had to in order to uh, still be on the planet, right? Right. Um, and he and he and he would tell you that, you know the same thing if he was on the on the call. Um, and but so now he's kind of like all over the place. He's got a band called Punkadelic that is kind of his thing with Nikki Glassy and I don't know who else. And then. He plays with Dean Ween and right. with Les Claypool plays Les Claypool's Frog Brigade and and the way I came to, to know him um, initially was he uh, Kai Welch who played on the album and played on the last one um, was uh, doing some touring with Ricky Lee Jones right and Mike my, my, it was a, and it was a trio with Ricky Lee Mike Dillon and Kai um, and. I actually went to see them when they were here in Houston at the Heights Theater, and I've uh, met Mike, and then I realized that he's first cousins with a really good friend of mine here in Houston, and we we talked a bunch, and the sessions were coming up like in a, in a month or something, and I was like, Kai, do you think Mike would want to come? And he was like, well, I don't know, text him. And so I did, and he was like, hell yeah. And, he, and so it was really cool how he, I mean, he is a road dog of the highest order. I mean, he, he has no problem driving 800 miles and uh, <laughs> I mean, he does not, he does not stop. He does not stop. That's right. I always forget. He's didn't he go to like St. Thomas there in Houston? Like St. Thomas high school. I think so. Like, yeah. <laughs> what a crazy world. So uh, that's what that you're in Houston now. Yeah, I've been for, for a while. Been, my, my family's over here. So, I'm over here. That's great. Um, what part of town are you yeah. in? I live like near downtown, like um, kind of uh, Avalon, River Oaks sort oh, nice. of area. Um, like, yeah, not not far from downtown. Yeah, I had a girlfriend that I well, I used to work at, at that Whole Foods over there on Shepherd, like in the late yeah. '80s and early '90s, when Cactus nice. was over there and stuff. Anyway. Um, yeah, I love Houston. It's funny. One of the reasons why I came back yesterday was because I have this podcast today, but I was in Houston all weekend. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I got to get back tomorrow. Well, I got this podcast. <laughs> so I came back Little did you Austin. know. We, we, we could have just done it over here. Little did I know. Anyway, um, well, man, this so this record's fantastic. There's another thing I wanted to ask about. Um, Oh wait, so so uh Mark Mark Nevers, the guy who produced it, also played bass on the record, right? No, no, two different guys. Mark Riddell, who okay. is another Houstonian, um, played bass. 
Uh, and for all intents and purposes, he and Isaiah are, I mean, they're, they're basically in Leon the third at this point. Uh, we, they're the, they're the, the, the go-to rhythm section and we, we don't play without them. So, um, but Mark Riddell is, you know, another guy who's kind of all over the place in terms of Texas music in particular. I mean, he plays with all kinds of people over here in Houston, like Mighty Ork and, um, if you know, if you're familiar with, with him or, no. um, a guy named Sam Morrow, who is from Houston, but lives in LA now. Um, and just, you know, all, you know, a, a variety of people about town. Um, and then Mark Nevers is, is you know, a, 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 was really a, na- a national based producer who now has moved to South Carolina and he's best known for his work with like silver Jews, Bonnie right. Prince, Billy, right. Vic Chestnut, um, Andrew Bird, you know, things like that. Um, did you, when you play at, uh, at, I'm going to be putting this out the week that the record's coming out, and also on that Sunday, October 15th, you'll be playing at Austin City Limits Music Festival at noon. And and those yes, guys, indeed. Mark and uh, Mark and Isaias, Isaias will be with you? They will, yes. And yeah, and Mason, who is like my partner in this, and Leon the third, of course. And then we've got, you know, I've actually got a, a full Houston-based band for that. I've got um, a keyboard player named Jeremy Nuncio and uh, a girl who is a fabulous singer um, named Katie Rushing. So um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a whole Houston constituency on stage at the Austin City Limits Music Festival, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's going to be great. So, Makes uh, my life easy. This record um, has amazing strings. Who, how did that, who did that? And what, what was the deal with those? So it's actually an Austin guy who I've never met personally, um, but who I've corresponded with a bunch named Peter Stopchinsky. And I'm embarrassed to say that I don't know the names of the individual players off the top of my head. Um, but Peter did all the arranging and he was really someone that Mark Nevers brought to the table because, um, uh, Mark was really involved with a, a band that either, you know, him or you don't, but called lamb chop, which was a national based country conglomerate. I mean, country is a loose word. Um, there's this guy, Kurt Wagner, who was kind of the front man, but at, at one point, I think Lamb Chop maybe had 30 members, um, many of whom are kind of a who's who of, of random musicians from Nashville. Um, and, and it was really this kind of country politan sound at the beginning with this big, big sound, um, strings and, and the whole bit. And it, it was almost like a Sinatra meets kind of country thing. And, um, this, they made one album called Mr. M, which was, you know, pretty famous in a certain circle. And, and it was very symphonic and, and Peter had done all the strings on that. So I think Mark had, had a relationship with him over time do, doing different work because he loved what he did. And, um, I hadn't listened to, to this album that we're talking about right now, hours in a while. I kind of, stepped away from it after all the, you know, you mix the album and you 
get it finished finally. And you've heard the song 20 million times. And so I just stepped away from it. Um, and a few weeks ago I had to listen to the test pressings for the first time. And I was really, <laughs> I was like, Whoa, it's become, it became quite symphonic at times. Yeah. Um, and I, and I love it because in a lot of ways, a lot of times it's kind of juxtaposed against like sort of primitive sounds and, and um, it gets really beautiful and elegant and then floppy uh, kind of in the same sentence sometimes. Yeah. And that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's interesting because I was, I was wondering like what you were listening to as the inspiration for this music. Was there like, were you listening to Middle Eastern music or were you listening to a lot of psychedelic music? Cause there's almost like, um, there's almost like a vibe on some songs. There's a couple of songs on this record by the Dandy Warhols called 13 Tales of Urban Bohemia, I think. Yeah, you know yeah. You're talking about? Like there, there has I, I, that, I that sort of like uh, mantra. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Or the, another one would Hypnotic be like Brian Jones. Yes, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, well, I've been messing around and got this thing called a Tanpura, which is like a, I think... They use it in, uh, like, tabla players will use a tempura. It, it, it's a drone, basically. Right. Um, and you put it, you set it, you set it to a note, and it drones. Um, and so I was messing with that thing a lot, um, especially in the demos. You know, I ended up using it more than I ever probably should have, you know, <laughs> not tastefully. <laughs> and then uh, I got one of those six-string... Six Sitar guitars, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and was messing with that, and then ultimately decided that we're like we need like a real sitar player to play this to play this stuff because you can only get to so much out of the sitar guitar. Yeah, I, but yeah, I was. Uh, uh, um, but at the same time, you know, I was listening. I was trying to like simplify things a little bit. From I didn't fully succeed, but some of the arrangements on the last album were. You know, there were a lot, <laughs> and, and and there was a lot going on, and I was trying to simplify, and again, I wasn't fully successful. But so I was listening to stuff like, which I love, but like T Rex, yeah, which is you know simple, but it has a real psychedelic sort of vibe to it. Yeah, did you did you come up listening to T Rex? Like, did you? Uh, they're they're like a huge monumental. He's a huge monumental guy in my music life. No, I'd say that I was late to the T-Rex party and it wasn't until, I don't know, eight years ago that I sort of got pulled into Electric Warrior and like the ones that, you know, the most accessible ones. Yeah. Um, and then this, honestly, like this particular album, I was listening to the, like the self-titled one, uh-huh. the first one. And, and, and there's one song in particular, like, called Root of Star. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, honestly, like, there's a couple of songs on the album where I was like trying to, I was like, I want to write a song like Root of Star. You know, it's only yeah. two minutes long and, and it feels, still feels really weird and it creates an entire universe unto itself that you don't totally understand. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, um, Root of Star is like one of the songs that was, was um, a pole star for this album. Yeah. It's, in, uh, it's, yeah. it's interesting what a strong sort of, uh, 
like for some reason there's artists that you come across like that are just really profound in your artistic like when they hit you they hit you and you go and like you can go through their music and it there's like he wrote like four different songs <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yes right Right. Four different songs, 40,000 40, different ways. Yeah, but they're right. so good, man. And I don't, I can't, I think it, I feel like it's the groove. It's the pocket of these songs. Like they're, yeah, you know, they, you can boogie to them just like he talks about, you know? I get so mad because I, I'm like, it's so, it, it angers me that um, Bang or Gong is the only song that they'll ever play anywhere. Yeah, as if that was the only song he ever wrote. Right, and, right, and and it's a groovy song, but like he's got thousands more that are like that. Sure, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I, so yeah, that was that was that was a place that um, you know that I was coming from, which is trying to step back from the sort of big arrangement. Although it, again, we kind of landed there sometimes, but yeah, yeah. like mannequins. Ma- Mannequins and Wolves Further Away are two songs on the album that I, you know, I got marginal, was marginally successful on keep, keeping it um, a little leaner. Definitely. So you, you, I mean, you balance, uh, like you have a, a, a high creative output. You put out three records in the last five years, right? I mean, that's pretty much more than most people do. But you also have a, a, a successful business, a day job with the Howler Bros. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. How, how much time are you, like, are you able to, do you, like, write every day or do you have certain days that you set aside for writing or are you able to do it when it hits you? You're not too busy to, like, lose the idea you had? How do you, how are you able to, 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 to stay so prolific? Yeah, I mean, actually, uh, I feel the opposite. I feel like sometimes, you know, the, the album cycle right now for us is like, you know, almost two years or a year and a, a year plus for sure to get something else out. And they're not particularly long albums, you know, it's eight songs. So I, I'm, I sometimes feel like I'm not doing enough. Um, but I guess my, I don't write every day and I can't. Um, right. Not not because of time, but really because I, the cup is the cup is empty sometimes, and I feel like kind of on on an album like this album that something is trying to change my mind that we're talking about. Like I emptied the bucket <laughs> fully, so I was like, you know, I feel like the bucket fills up, and then like you start feeling it again, and you get I just go and go go bananas and start writing a lot of, you know, writing songs and, and, and getting them down and, and, and just going wild. Like I'm suddenly, suddenly have the, you know, I've opened the portal again. Yeah. And then, then like, I feel like when you go into the work of recording the album, for me, the portal closed. Like I, when I'm, when I'm fine tuning and recording and all that, like I can't get in touch necessarily with, um, uh, with with that with the songwriting side and, and sometimes I'm jotting down ideas or, or whatever but um, it's almost like I have to just like empty the bucket fully and then it'll sit there dry for 
a while and then it'll start steadily start coming back to me. And I'm, I'm actually only just now getting there where I've written a, a few songs again. And, but for a while, I honestly thought like I might not ever write another song. There's nothing to, there's nothing there to grab. Right. Um, and so I just wait until it comes. And, uh, and then I, you know, I have the luxury of being able to do, you know, kind of plan my days according to how I want them to be so long as I get, get my things done. So like I, I'm, I'm able to set aside things and work during the day on music and, um, and just grind away on my, on my own schedule. That's great. How do you, do you guys, um, I know that you have the ACL Fest show, which is huge by the way. And congratulations. Cause I know that that's something thank that's, you, thank uh, you. always, ex- do you know what stage you're playing? Um, is it, is it T Mo? Is that is there a T Mobile? Is that right? That sounds good. Um, <laughs> that sounds believable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm worried that I'm like mixing up the carrier and and um, it's really AT and T or something, and I'm going to get to be like, bro, why did you do that? Right. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it's. I, I, I'm, I'm, I should know, but I don't know. Uh, I think it's T Mobile, and it should be. Um, it's great. It's, you know, it's early on Sunday. Hopefully, people will pry themselves out out there um, for for a noon set. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I'm genuinely just honored to be on the bill, and um, you know, in a lot of ways, it, you know, they're, they're not. They're, it feels like a feels like a victory. Did you guys play one before? No, no, no first okay. time. For some reason, I thought you did. No. but okay. So outside of that, are you? Do you have plans of doing more shows after the release? Are you guys able to with scheduling and everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got some. Well, we're going to have a few shows around ACL that aren't announced yet, but then um, we'll have some things a little bit later in the fall. And we actually already have some things that are slotting in for. I mean, it sounds crazy to talk about January, but we're talking about you know things are slotting in for January right now. So yeah, yeah, we we intend to try to get back out there. Um, we did a bunch of stuff in the beginning of this summer too, um, out on the East coast, but I tell you, we still haven't, you know, fully recovered from the whole, the whole thing. Um, and, and still don't feel like, at least for us, that the pace of, of playing live is, is, is what we thought it would have been, you know, if, if, if you and I had this conversation in 2019, right. Um, we just, it just doesn't feel as robust. It just doesn't feel, and, and we're, we're, we're kind of okay with that. I think we're more inclined now to just choose quality over quantity. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're able, that's the other thing too, is like, I was just actually having this conversation with somebody else a little while ago about if you're able to take the financial pressure off of your artistic endeavor, it allows it to be as artistic as it wants to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of making yeah. it do shit for you to make money so that you can live, you're able to make art for art's sake. And that's, I've, to me, it's, it's, it's really reflective in this record. Yeah. You know, the other thing about it, even not, not even money, like I think that I, I had these really bold aspirations for what I thought Leon the third was going to become. Um, and 
I really put a ton of pressure on myself for that. And like almost to the point that it became exhausting, emotionally exhausting. And now, now I think I've really just come to terms with like, Hey, this is, this is what it is. And we want to, yes, of course you want people to listen and you want people to be into it and all that bit, but I'm not worried about that anymore. And so right. that, you know, that feels very freeing when it comes to the creative side. Right. Like I don't, I'm not worried about satisfying the algorithm or whatever. Right. Um, right. I'm more sa- I'm just worried about satisfying me. And that's, yeah. uh, that's great. That feels really great. And, um, maybe it's just a moment in time, but that's where I am right now. No, but I mean, I, I feel like there is, uh, you know, especially, I don't know. I mean, you, you end up making records. I mean, these are like, you know, pro records, you end up playing pro shows and all this stuff. And the fact that you're able to let your art be itself has allowed it to really just through the course of these last three records really grow and, you know, I mean, really grow and change and breathe and be what it is, which is, it's a hard thing for people to do and to do it on an album level as opposed to like singles or, you know what I mean? Like to really focus on these, it's very, uh, it's very Pink Floyd philosophically, Yeah, you know? Well, I, yeah, well, I, you know, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> and that is, that is how we're doing. I mean, we are trying to build an album that is, you know, at least emotionally connected to each other itself and feels like a moment, a moment in time for the band. And, um, feels like, like the, that it's thematically related to itself. And, and a lot of times those things don't really present themselves until you get all the way into it. It's not like I'm writing a rock opera or something that, that I know for certain that, right. You know, I mean, I've got to get all this crap in there. It's, it's more like, you know, you start looking at the, once you step back and start to see the whole forest, you can say, oh man, okay, I can see where these two trees are the same species and I see where, and, and here's the common things and now I know how we can sequence this thing and link it together. And Martin Evers is really good at that. I mean, the albums feel, you know, Antlers and Velvet, the last album and this one feel very cohesive, I guess, at least yeah. to me. Yeah. Very much so. Does uh, does he lend um, opinion and influence over like songwriting or anything? Like his producers all like with kind of our you you know producers are all kind of different. Like some of them come in with like a heavy songwriting trip. Some of them are you know like super musicians or or like or Rick Rubin. You know a dude with just really good taste that kind of knows when you're being yourself. Yeah, I think Mark is is the opposite. He he does not he does not meddle in the song at all, and he doesn't he and doesn't really even meddle. In, he really like when like when you go to the sessions, you're all you almost are. Uh, even though I should have learned this by now, like I'm wanting like tell me something, say something, give me more direction, and he really won't do it. Um, and I think his philosophy is the band is always going to make the right decision. The band, when they're in the room working, I'm not going to interject and tell them this, that, and the other. 
and where Mark really excels is after the songs are down. And then he can say, you know, why don't we get Peter Stopchinsky to do the string thing on this? Right. Or this, we should program a drum section for this. Or, you know, like you go back and just do your demo stuff all over the top of this. And then I'm going to, I'm going to cut and paste and work all this stuff down to, it's not, they're not easy albums to make and they're not primitive. Like we, we don't like, in a lot of ways, there's so many layers that it's almost absurd sometimes, but um, that's the way we've done it. And that's the way we've been successful. So he really stays out of the process until after the songs are down. And it's almost like we're three quarters of the way through the race. And then he catches up to us and he's like, what if we get a French horn player from <laughs> this, whatever, yeah. this, you know, the sitar guy, I mean, the sitar guy on this album, I found him online and he's from Sri Lanka right. and <laughs> he, he, he probably sent us, you know, I'm telling you 12 or takes 12 or 15 takes of each song. Cause he did two songs, one that hadn't been released yet. Or isn't on the album, but we'll, we'll see the light of day one day. Um, and he, uh, with, with effects, with that, and Mark took all that and boiled it down and made it, really made it into something. Um, and, and so I have like hours of sitar music that I can, I can probably make my own sitar album. That's awesome. Yeah. That's funny. I'm glad that you chose to go with sitar because electric sitar is really hard to put on a record without that sort of weird 1968 BJ Thomas, you know what I mean? Like whatever those goofy <laughs> songs were, nothing against him, but like they just have such a distinct, like <laughs> goofiness. To them. There's a, yeah, there's a little bit of it in there. You can hear it. Um, if, if you listen closely, it's, it's in there, but it's pretty hidden and it's, it's treated and, and, and but like, <laughs> once you hear it versus the real sitar and a real sitar player, yeah. there's, there's really no comparison. No uh, comparison. Yeah. And you know, it can be, you know, you're always worried with sitar that it's going to be, it's going to come off as cliche or, you know, too flower power. Or like you just, like that. you just started smoking weed. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, 101. <laughs> yeah. And so we're, <laughs> but I think you know. Again, I'm I'm close to it, so maybe I'm wrong. But I think we pulled it off. With, oh with no, great. you totally did. Yeah, yeah. Because there there is a right way to do it. It just there's a lot of wrong ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. So let me ask you this: When you're uh, like writing these songs, were you like writing and recording them simultaneously, or do you sit down and write the 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 song on like one single instrument? Yeah, mostly well, I mostly write on guitar or p or piano. I'm terrible at p at, at piano, but I can yeah, I can do it. I can put, I, I can fake it on demos, and I can write use it to write. And I often do because you know I'm stuck in stuck in my ways on guitar. Um, but it's, I write. You know, I have like it really comes from messing around. Like I would, I would just sit and mess around and mess around, mess around with a guitar or on the piano until I find something I like. And then generally I will go and start to just pound out a lyrical, 
you know, melody and, and a lyrical concept. Oh. I keep a log of even when the bucket is empty and, um, you know, I might hear you say something today or hear whatever, read something or whatever that, that causes me to like a turn of phrase or idea. And I'll put it down in my, used to be on paper. Now it's in a, on my uh, Apple notes or whatever. Right. Um, or I'll, or sometimes I'll sing something into my, sure. um, my little voice recorder on my phone. And they all sound like, a, like a really drunk Michael Stipe. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what was I trying to accomplish here? I, I never can figure it out. <laughs> um, and, uh, so I keep all these turns of phrase and ideas and stuff. And sometimes I'll just, you know, start, I'll find the melody and I'll just go pick one of those and be like, all right, well, let's see if this will, I can make this one work. Well, okay. Now maybe this one, maybe like, and then sometimes, you know, so it's more like collage. I feel like collaging. Yeah. Starting to collage things together. That's super fun to do, you know? I've always had, like, some kind of yeah. recording system at home. Like, even since I, like, in the 80s, like, I had a four-track, and I would, you could kind of come up with the uh, the vibe, too, not just, like, the, the, you know what I mean? I started recording, yeah. writing and recording, you know, it, I have to consciously sit down to write a song on a single instrument as opposed to like, oh, let me get this drum machine group going. Oh, check out this bass line. Oh, this sounds like that. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden you're singing something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. And so mine is really I start on guitar and kind of start hammering out. And then I'll, then I'll just throw that down <laughs> again, probably not in time because right. I'm just doing it, which is, Regrettable, I guess, because what emerges is not, it just has a feel. But I'll throw it, just throw it down on in Pro Tools and then start to layer stuff on top of that and take away. And, and so I end up with these really kind of wacko demos that are played by a guy who doesn't, who's not very professional on any instrument. Right. Um, and that, that, but that's kind of cool. You, you can't, we, when we tried to record over the demos or recreate them, with a talented band of people that know what they're doing, right. <laughs> we, we couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can like, you can see the difference between the 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 musicians and and your yeah, recording. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, we, you. I'm like, well, y'all need to be worse. Yeah. And, and it's just impossible for some people. What took you out to Sonic Ranch? Um, one is well, we tried to record. When we did the demos, we did it out. Mark Nevers has a studio in South Carolina, um, and we did some finishes there later. But, you know, we wanted to do it in a residential spot, you know, a place where everyone could sleep. Um, and we had gone to a place called Panoramic House, which is in Northern California, and that's where we made the last one, Antlers and Velvet. And that was really awesome but we didn't want to do the same thing. We wanted okay. to change the alchemy. And um, the market had, we had talked about Sonic Rants last time. And, and yeah, we, we reached out to a few people and then but Tony, the guy who, yeah. who owns Sonic Ranch, um, just like, was like, well, I want you to come. Like, like, here's what we'll do and here's how it'll go. And he gave us a lot of confidence. And we were like, all right, let's let's do it. 
why not? We're it's right here and it's, they've got everything we could ever dream of wanting. Yeah. Um, everything. And I, when, 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 uh, when Andy says everything, you guys, he means like these ladies that make this breakfast that is killer. Awesome oh, yeah, place. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he still has horses, but you can ride like, you know, uh, three wheelers or whatever out on this expanse. Like, I think it's like 2,500 acres, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe more. I mean, it's a pecan, working pecan farm. Working pecan farm. And it's, yeah. Right. You know, from certain studios you can see into Mexico and, um, you're very secluded, but also another cool thing about it is, I mean, I guess there's probably six different quote unquote studios where at any given time, I mean, you could have, you know, a, a, a six different bands or six different yeah. outfits out there working. So you don't really see those people until the meal time. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you, you meet some really interesting people and, um, you know, you, you never know who might actually be there at the same time. They've, they've made some really big albums out there for sure. Oh yeah. Um, it was fun. Yeah. I, uh, I tried, I got, I had a record deal. Like I got a record deal like 25 years ago and that was my place. Like th- there was a physical brochure that somebody gave me and they were like, you should check this place out. And I was like, Oh my God, this is, and the whole band wanted to, but the producer did not want to do it. But we went out there and became friends with Tony, and I've I still have never recorded there, but like I go hang out there when I'm passing by on I ten. Like I, you're, you're, are you all, are you frequently passing through El Paso or Tornillo, Tornillo Texas? You no, know, when you're going out on the road out west, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 stop in, have <laughs> breakfast, hang out, have lunch, hang out with Tony for a while. He's a he is he is literally like the sweetest like. You know, he's odd in like a great way, like eccentric. That's what yeah. I mean. he's like—an eccentric, fucking cool guy. Yeah, and for the listeners, you to give you an image, he looks a lot like Iggy Pop. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like Iggy, Iggy Pop and uh, and uh, Christopher Lloyd in in Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen him in a few years since before the pandemic, but I do. I have tremendous affection for that dude, and I, I have uh, such a love for that place. And man, so many records. That, I mean, you know, so many great records have been made out there at this point. Yeah, and we, you know, we we had a blast. I mean, we just it was really fun and relaxed and and easy. I mean, and just from a gear standpoint, yeah, the the, the engineers there are. Really, really, really talented and yeah. patient and all the stuff. My friend Davi Garza does a lot of work out there. Yeah, yeah. I almost feel like he probably has his own room out there, both uh, studio <laughs> room and, like, bedroom. Um, All right, man. Well, dude, this has been great talking to you and catching up. This record is called Something is Trying to Change My Mind. It'll be coming out October 13th. And uh, Leon the Third will be playing at ACL Festival on Sunday, October fifteenth uh, at noon. Look at your schedule if you're going there and find out the stage. But um, man, it's been great talking to you. I know, I know. it's been too long. It's yeah, thanks for talking again. Yeah, man. I love and congratulations. What you do here. Uh, honestly, this is this record's beautiful. It is. It's loaded with. There's a. There's an overarching theme of hope. We didn't really talk about that, but it's not like the there. It's like a, a concept album, but there is hope going through this record. 
Enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, people this can check out. Great. By, the, by the time this comes out, the first two songs will be available uh, uh, for streaming: Mannequins and Dogwood, uh, Dogwood Blooms. And then uh, the rest of the record comes out October thirteenth. Exactly. Yeah. Well, great catching up with you, man. I uh, I hope you have a great uh, ACL festival. I almost said South by Southwest. Great ACL festival and a great release. I appreciate it so much. I hope to see you in person. Yeah, soon. man. Me too. I'll give you a hug. Yes, indeed. All right, man. Take care, Andy. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye, buddy. Bye. All right, that's Andy Sapanian from Leon the Third. Their new record, Something Is Trying to Change My Mind, drops this Friday, October 13th. Go to leonthethird.com and get involved with them. Uh, they'll be playing ACL Fest this Sunday, October 15th at noon at the T Mobile stage. Get out there and check them out. Fantastic band, Leon the Third. I want to thank my friend Jenny Ronan for setting this up. She's always great. It's always great to see her and talk to her. Uh, I'm glad she's out there working with these guys. This is a fantastic band, and I love this record. I call it uh, Middle East meets West. Isn't that weird? <laughs> well, it is. It's weird. When you listen, when you first turn on the record, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's fucking great, and I love it. I want to thank Andy for doing the show. And hey, gang, while you're out there checking out LeonTheThird.com, don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you find podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, new shows every Tuesday and every Friday. Also, we've been dropping from the Vault series. I, I have a, a one from Austin City Limits Music Festival five years ago with uh, Jackie Venson and the great Kid Jones. Check that out. All right. All right, everyone. Have a great week. Uh, check out Something Is Trying to Change My Mind out this Friday, October 13th from Leon the Third. Let's get down.